Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode 134. It's time for a Mayo Bowl preview. We're all dukes out, baby. We're all christmas out here on your favorite WVU football podcast. I am Wesley Euler, flanked today by the signal caller, Jed Drenning himself. And uh, the two of us, a little Christmas banter here, Jed, and a obviously deep dive look at the Mountaineers and the Tar Heels coming up here in just a few days. As we get started, of course, you always know this episode of In the Gun brought to you in part by our friends at Bed Online. Jed, Merry Christmas. Good to see you. I love your sweater. If people are watching on YouTube, I've got the, uh, the WVU holiday sweater here. Jed's got the I find your lack of Christmas cheer disturbing. The Darth Vader sweater. Uh, exactly. Looking, looking good over there, partner. Yeah, I got my uh, Lord Vader uh, ugly Christmas sweater game going on here. Oh, I didn't think I this thing it. would still fit me. We we wore it uh, in a, I think I wore it in a family Christmas picture many years ago. You would. Uh, I didn't know if this thing, my, my wife dug it out, and I, I wasn't sure if it would even fit, but I'm surprised it does. These things are are pretty flexible you know that's that's a good thing with these cheap sweaters no doubt well i would disagree with you you said it's an ugly sweater i think it's a gorgeous sweater right like i I walked into the studio at work today and everyone was like oh of course euler's wearing his wvu ugly sweater i was like whoa hold on hold on gang nothing with the nothing with the flying w on it is is ugly baby it's all beautiful so uh yes if you're maybe you're listening to this podcast as you're traveling around for christmas from family to family from place to place whatever uh, safe travels, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. We'll get into maybe a couple of those those quick hitters before we get out of here, Jed. Um, but I am happy to see as well, too, that you've survived na- another National Signing Day in the books. Uh, great stuff with, with you and TC, uh, you and Tony breaking it all down, as, as you always do. Awesome stuff. And, uh, you know, just for me to plug it here just for a second, uh, our previous episode of ITG, episode 133, if you want the full breakdown of, uh, of the class, uh, our guy Jed and Skyler. I-, I tell you what, I don't know between you and Skyler if you could find two more people more qualified to talk about and more, you know, kind of researched and in depth with signing day every single year. So, tip of the hat to both of you on another job well done. Appreciate it. I, I always am eager to pull the plug and move on because I, I'm not one of these recruiting aficionados who tracks this twelve months a year. I mean, basically, right. there's a. There's a two week. It's like, it's like you're cramming. It's like you're cramming for a test when you do this, Jed. It's like me yeah, at midterms. So I, you know what I mean? Me I, at I finals. Commiserate, <laughs> I exactly. I commiserate with the staff. I can't even begin to imagine with the travel that they're subjected to, and all the the different things they're forced to balance with this new crazy calendar. But my window is a couple weeks. In other words, when the regular season ends, uh, I take some time off from my day job, and I kind of just dive in for a good solid couple weeks of really intense film study evaluation, looking into once we would have list down, have a pretty good sense of who it's going to be. In other words, what I don't want to do is spend part of my year evaluating a linebacker who's going to sign with Clemson. No doubt. In fact, we think that, so I don't want to get into that. So once we get a sense of what's going to happen, uh, yeah, I communicate with the staff and, and then I, I start reaching out to the high school coaches after I do my film study. I have a chance to reach out to a lot of the high school coaches and that part of it, I look forward to, I mean, just yeah. talking football, these, these high school coaches talking ball with those guys about their kids. They take great pride oh, in them. I know that. And you, I know you that learn appeals a lot to about the football the you dork in you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, but it, it's a lot, it's, it's a lot of heavy lifting for a couple of weeks to, to sure. kind of jam it into that, that three hour broadcast that Tony and I do for MSN. And uh, so it makes good sense that, you know, because Skyler's doing his own version of that with SI Right. So it makes sense for us to kind of compare notes and and put, you know, an episode together. And we will. I, I talked to Trey and I, our recruiting coordinator, uh, about this. We will, when, when the dust settles and our lives get back to normal to some extent in, in January, and it makes more sense when you're when you're more starved for content in the offseason, sure. we'll get Trey on the show, just like we did last year. Last year, we didn't have a bowl game. I mean, that was the difference. There was a void to fill because we had no bowl preview. But uh, we'll get Trey Nyer on the show again. He and I talked about it at the uh, show the other day at the facility. Awesome. And awesome. Uh, he's going to be more than happy to sit down with us and break down the class. And I, it, it's always awesome getting his insights because yeah. he's, he's become very good at what he does. He really has. And, well, uh, and that's, that's important. The preparation that he gave me really helped. So. 
Awesome. Yeah, we we love Trey. Like you mentioned, we obviously had him on the podcast last year. I thought I heard some of what uh, when he joined you and Tony. I was watching the Facebook live stream as I could. Um, saw a little bit of him on with you and Tony. Yeah, he's he's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, we really appreciated him coming on last year. And yeah, something for for you guys to look forward to. Um, we'll we'll be catching up with Trey again here before too much longer. But like I said, uh, Jed and Skyler are great. Like 70, 80 minute breakdown that they did on the on the entire class. Uh, you can find that on YouTube, wherever you get the podcast. Again, like I said, that's the previous episode of In the Gun, episode 133. We are going to talk about that bowl game because we do have a bowl game here in just a second. But first, another thank you to our friends at Toothman Ford. We all know cars cost less in Grafton. Uh, they do yeoman's work in the NIL department supporting our student athletes. So make sure you support those who support us. Big thank you to JR and Toothman Ford, as always, for presenting this podcast. All right, Jed, let's jump right into it. Uh, Real quick, speaking of Mayo, too, looking forward to this video of Ren Baker now that the Country Roads Trust has hit their goal before the bowl game. I don't know if you saw this, Jed, but Ren Baker will be taking a bath in mayonnaise as a little wager that he made with WVU fans. Uh, Great stuff by WVU fans uh, answering the call answering the bell as always and getting those uh those country roads trust numbers up and so we will be uh looking forward to Ren getting his mayo bath here I think before the bowl game and then of course Neil Brown getting his after the bowl game but let's talk about how the Mountaineers get there uh the low-hanging fruit joke of course is Jed hey coach Brown is gonna get a mayo bath after the game I guarantee it because both head coaches are coach Brown you see what I did there Neil Brown and Mac Brown of course uh but This one, it feels like, listen, this could be arguably the juiciest quarterback matchup in all the bowl games if Drake May were going to play. We know that he is not. He's on his way to being a, uh, I think, for sure, top five pick, certainly top 10 in the NFL draft in a few months. He will not play the talented signal caller for the Tar Heels. So, Jed, I want to leave this up to you. You know, I, I, I normally like to do this when we do our game previews because you're so well researched and prepared for these things. What's kind of the biggest thing to keep an eye on what's the five-star matchup that we're looking for you know when you're when you're breaking down this game where do you think it begins oh uh a lot of interesting storylines with the way this has played out first of all who saw this coming uh i mean we spent the weeks leading up to the end of the regular season with all the bowl projections looking at of course the bowls directly affiliated with the big 12 and wondering which of those West Virginia might land in. And as it turns out, it's a bowl. It's not directly affiliated with the big 12. So the Mayo bowl was obviously happy to get its hands on West Virginia because we're going to turn out in big numbers in Charlotte. I have zero doubt about that. And uh, to get North Carolina nearby as well, it's a great matchup for them. So the, the, the Duke's Mayo bowl has to be incredibly excited about this opportunity, the way things have landed. And, uh, it's a, uh, a battle between two quality teams that uh, both stand at eight and four. Now, the paths we took to get there, as you arrange your Duke's mail on your my desk, Duke's there, mine's in my fridge desk. upstairs. I, I've been eating it for a couple of weeks. I made it a point. Yep, I was at Kroger in Morgantown. That's the Gucci yeah. Kroger, and I picked some up. But uh, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> those in Morgantown, if you know, you know, right? You know the Gucci but, Kroger. Uh, the Gucci Kroger. But, uh, yeah, two teams that, that landed at eight and four, different paths in getting there, right? Uh, uh, North Carolina at one point was 6-0, and ranked in the top 10. Uh, and, and much like last year, Wes, I mean, last year they were at 9-1 pushing the top 10. Right, right. And the wheels kind of came off and some things went against them. And, and this year it was a similar story. But, but they, uh, they landed at eight and four, as did West Virginia. And uh, I think what we have to do, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the opt-outs or the injuries, because uh, especially on the, the offensive side of the ball for, you know, North Carolina, we're going to talk about their numbers at large uh, and the production that they've had under offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey, which that's probably a good starting point. I think it's interesting. Finally, we get a bowl game against Chip Lindsey. And what I mean by finally, the Cactus Bowl, I remember one of the storylines in the Cactus Bowl was, Arizona State had literally just hired Chip Lindsey because they had an outgoing offensive coordinator. And there was actually some chatter. Chip Lindsey, is he going to arrive fresh on campus and have his hands on the game plan against West Virginia in the Cactus Bowl? Of course, that didn't happen, uh, even though he was technically on staff for the Arizona State team that we beat in the Cactus Bowl. So here we face Chip Lindsey, who's been at North Carolina for a year. Uh, and uh, he's done a good job. 
uh, he was he was brought in uh, to replace Phil Longo, who moved very coveted offensive coordinator on Mac Brown's staff, who moved in the offseason to take the uh, OC job at Wisconsin. And what Mac Brown hoped to do uh, with the pieces that he had in place, of course, he had you mentioned Drake May, and he had a lot of bells and whistles and fun toys on the perimeter, a lot of offensive skill. He said, we want to maintain what we have going for us in the pass game, but we want to be, become much more formidable in the run game uh, because they were a middling team running the football last year as dynamic as they were throwing it. Well, mission accomplished because North Carolina this year ran for 200 yards a game, give or take, threw for 300 yards a game, give or take. So they were burning the candle from both ends and very effectively doing so. But again, that was with Drake May. So let's talk about some of the changes. Uh, I, I want to go through, when you look at the number of kids that Carolina has in the portal, it's significant. But some of their kids, they have a couple kids, West that are in the portal that are actually going to participate in the bowl game. So let's talk about the opt-outs and the injuries and the impact that that's had. I'll just talk about it on both sides of the bowl and we'll get it out of the way at the top. So North Carolina's opt-outs include seven starters, either by opt-out or by injury, okay? Starting obvious with Drake May. As you touched on, definitely top five, certainly top ten. I think maybe a top two pick, right, No doubt. Uh, in the NFL draft. Some hey, people are saying Jeff, number he could, one. He could be – He could uh, like, that would not surprise me. I still think it probably ends up being Caleb Williams, but that would not surprise yeah. me. Which we said before, a year ago that would have sounded like blasphemy to – to suggest that anything other than Caleb Williams could be number one overall, but Drake May's kind of starting to make the case or has made the case. So Drake May opting out. So we're going to get to his replacement and what that'll look like and what we, we might expect. Uh, Tez Walker, their leading receiver, uh, who was a transfer who was very productive for them this year, 41 catches for almost 700 yards, you know, seven touchdowns. He was a real productive player for him this year. Kobe Paysor won't be playing in the game. Another productive wideout for them at 22 catches. What I think is interesting is Corey Gaynor, uh, their center, uh, who for the last couple of years has really been the anchor of that offensive line. He he had over 900 snaps, which was on the most on the entire offensive line. Uh, he's a very consistent football player in both the pass and the run game. And he's been the vocal leader of that offensive line. So the thing you got to wonder about, they're going to do some shuffling on the interior of the line, but the thing you got to wonder about is communication. Same type of thing West Virginia is dealing with without Zach Frazier. We got Brandon Yates sliding there for different reasons, right? Uh, so uh, both sides will have communication tested at the point of attack. Uh, Corey Gaynor, the center for North Carolina. Now, here's where the plot really starts to thicken. Yes, you have Zach Rice out. He's kind of a sub on the offensive line. He's injured, but they have their tight end room was, and this is where the plot really starts to thicken. If you ask me, John Copenhaver injury, he's out a uh, very productive tight end had 18 catches, 279 yards, four touchdowns, big part of their ground game as a blocker, Bryant by Bryson Nesbitt, I should say uh, another tight end uh, also injured, caught 41 balls from almost 600 yards and five scores. Wes, they're going to be, without a scholarship tight end in this bowl game. And here's why I think that's interesting. It's not like they're a big 10 personnel team. They haven't been. They've been a big 12 personnel and sometimes even 13 personnel team. That, of course, means one back, two tight ends, one back, sometimes three tight ends. So I do think that is going to have a significant impact on how they approach things philosophically in this football game. They're going to have to get pretty creative with some other body types filling some of those roles. So we'll double back to that when we talk about their offense. Uh, Cedric Gray at linebacker, uh, easily, I think, their most significant defender, 267 tackles the last two years, leads all of Power 5. He's going to the NFL. He's out. So right there as a creature of the box, uh, a downhill defender, uh, very good against the run. Uh, he is out. So Cedric Gray, and we'll talk about what they're going to try and do to replace him. Uh, Elijah Huzzy, 727 snaps on the back end of corner. Uh, he's going to be out. Uh, defensive back Will Hardy played quite a bit on the back end for them. He will be out. Uh, DJ Hardy, another defensive back uh, in the portal, but will play. As will their backup quarterback for this game, Jefferson Boaz, a big six foot seven kid. Uh, he's in the portal, but he will play. Uh, so I, I thought that it was incumbent upon us to, before we get into anything else, 
yeah. you have to first start talking about the absences on their roster because they seem pretty significant. I mean, that's right? significant without a doubt. I love that stat of no scholarship tight end. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of their perimeter playmakers as well, too. Their signal caller, their, uh, you know, heart of their defense. I mean, those are some significant absences as you laid out there. They absolutely are. Now, let's rehash how productive they've been from an offensive standpoint with the pieces they had in place, and then we'll transition into what they don't have in place and what they're going to try and do about it. Offensively, they were first in the ACC with 500 yards a game. Incredibly productive. 37 points a game, second in the ACC. Pass offense with Drake May, 307 yards a game, good for first in the ACC, and also tied for first in the ACC with 197 yards a game on the ground. So I think that's very intriguing. Uh, again, Chip Lindsey did a great job. I have to give a shout-out to my guy, Freddie Kitchens, who I was on staff with at Glenville State. He was our running back coach when I was the OC. We lived together. Freddie, of course, the former head coach of the Cleveland Browns, bounced around the NFL with several jobs. He's now on staff at North Carolina with Mac Brown as their running game coordinator, uh, and Freddie does a good job. But uh, As is Lonnie Galloway, former Mountaineer Whitehouse coach. So they, they got a very talented offensive staff. And we'll get back to Randy Clements, their offensive line coach, and the bearing that may or may not have on how they game plan against West Virginia. A uh, little teaser alert there. But uh, when, when you look at their offense, everything is going to be built around Drake May out of the equation. Uh, Omerion Hampton, uh, their feature back, he's their bell cow. He led the ACC with 1,442 rush yards. That was good for number four in the country. Uh, that's the most by a Tar Heel since Elijah Hood way back in 2015. So Hampton has been a consistently productive feature of this offense. And you have to figure with Drake May out and Connor Harrell, the dual threat freshman recruit in, who's had limited snaps this year, uh, they're going to lean on the run game with Omarion Hampton. Uh, you've got to figure that's going to happen. But again, how tricky will that get without those tight ends as part of the equation? Hampton leads all FBS runners with 1,023 yards after contact. And that's one of the things, when you watch this kid on tape, it really stands out how physical he is. He's tough to bring down. Eighth in the country in broken tackles with 33. Uh, he, it's not, yeah, he's a little shifty and he's a little slippery, but that's not his forte. His, his forte is he will plow through you. He's just physically imposing and runs hard. He runs angry. He's tough to get to the ground. So uh, you better get a lot of hash to the football. Don't give up on the play. Play to the whistle and get as many defenders to him as you possibly can. So the question becomes, how will, in fact, they feature him? I mean, he's going to get his touches. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but is it going to be as obvious as just a downhill run game from Marion Hampton setting up some – Max protect play action opportunities for the young quarterback, Connor Harrell. Sure. Uh, when, when I watched Connor Harrell, the, the games that he played most significantly, uh, he got to play some against Syracuse. He got to play some of the blowout against Campbell. And he had a stretch against Campbell West. I think it was like three plays in a row uh, where he made a very athletic play in the throw game uh, as he was absorbing a hit, made a great throw. Uh, and then he made a, an incredibly athletic play in the run game, 40-some-odd yard touchdown by making guys miss. And the next thing you know, a 60-yard touchdown pass, three consecutive plays. So when he gets heated up, he's a handful. I mean, the skill set is there. There's a reason that he was as highly recruited out of the state of Alabama as he was. So he's a handful. So you can get creative. Now, let, let's start to wonder. Let's put these pieces together. Chip Lindsey has an offensive play caller. Uh, has bounced around. He's a Gus Malzahn, Malzahn guy, okay? Most recently, last year, was at UCF. And his play caller at UCF was JRP, John Reese Plumley. okay? Another athletic, dual-threat type guy. Well, he wasn't afraid. 150-some-odd uh, times, Plumley ran the football at UCF last year under the tutelage of Chip Lindsey, who was directing traffic and calling plays. So even when you saw... Connor Harrell in the game uh, late in these blowouts, you did see Chip Lindsey using him in the called quarterback run game. So I would certainly expect that to be a dimension of what we're going to see. Uh, now, we talked about their leading receiver being out, but they have some other talented kids on the perimeter that will participate. 
including J.J. Jones, son of former Mountaineer John Jones. So they have some kids on the perimeter that can make plays, including a slot receiver who had 15 grabs early in the season against Minnesota. So it's not as though they're without talent in that receiver room. So there's some creative things they can do. Uh, now you got to ask yourself, how do they address the absence of those tight ends? Uh, do they find some fullback body types, move into H-back types? Uh, you're going to obviously have to run the football, but then if, if you, under ordinary circumstances, you say run the football, max protect with eight-man protections, simplify routes and push the football vertical to those playmakers and make life easy for Connor Harrell. But you don't have your tight ends. So th that's where the question comes into play. Uh, I would almost even expect maybe some different personnel sets, a little more two-back. Uh, we, we talked earlier that they've been a big 12 personnel, two tight ends, and sometimes even 13 personnel, three tight ends team. That's not going to be the case in this football game. So now let's talk about Randy Clements. Randy Clements, a very well-respected and well-established offensive line coach. And I think it's an interesting wrinkle that he's on this North Carolina staff for this reason. Let's think about this. So because the regular season ended and they are fundamentally transformed as an offense from a personnel standpoint, Drake May's gone, the tight ends are gone, your center's gone. So you're going to have to reinvent some of what you do offensively by hook or by crook one way or the other. Well, for those listening or watching, do you remember back in the 2015 Russell Bowl, you had a situation where Baylor was facing, ironically enough, North Carolina. I remember we were actually in a bowl game, and I was watching this up in the press box during our pregame. Well, Randy Clements was on staff for that Baylor football team with Art Bryles. Now, I don't know if you all remember, but what Baylor did Art Bryles revisited and doubled back to his high school pedigree and his high school background. And they went from a pitch and catch air raid team. And that, that's exactly what Chip Lindsay's background is. He has an air raid background, but with the Malzahn wrinkles. So uh, in that particular bowl game, Baylor had their quarterbacks out because of injury. They were missing some wideouts because of injury. So they couldn't be this top heavy pass heavy team that had carried the day for them offensively throughout the course of the year when they were one of the better offenses in all of college football. So you start to see some parallels here. North Carolina has been one of the better offenses in all of college football all season, just like Baylor was in 2015. Well, what did Baylor do? Baylor actually got so creative with their personnel, they ended up playing some receivers at quarterback. And they doubled back to what Bryles did back in his high school days in Texas and started going option-heavy offensive football. They ran 84 times against North Carolina, ambushed them for 645 rushing yards. North Carolina had no answers. It, it had – it, it kind of reminded me in watching that game, Wes, of – of course, it's become legendary what West Virginia did in 1969 in their bowl game. Uh, installing the wishbone with Jim Carlin to do kind of the same thing to a bowl win in 1969. Well, again, Randy Clements, the offensive line coach at North Carolina, was on staff when Baylor did that, completely reinvented themselves offensively in the span of about three weeks. Uh, now, what he had to do to find the athleticism behind center that he needed to do that, what, what Baylor had to do, was put receivers at quarterback. Well, in this instance, in this instance, North Carolina is at least not going to have to do that because Connor Harrell is that skill set to begin with. Their backup quarterback, Connor Harrell, can already run like a scalded dog. So you can afford to get creative. Now, I'm not suggesting Carolinas can come out and run the ball 84 times, but who knows what you might expect, especially without these tight ends as part of the equation, because you're going to have to do it with some 10 personnel. So do you start running empty sets with more motion? Is that how you address this? And you stress the perimeter, maybe with some op option components, with some slot motion? I, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking as a former play caller, without my tight ends, with the personnel that you're being handed, how do you play to your strengths with Amarion Hampton as, as the bell cow, as the feature player in your offense? What exactly might you hope to do? So I find that intriguing. I find that compelling. Uh, and, and, and the fact that North Carolina has been a tempo offense, again, with Drake May. I mean, this is an offense that's averaged 74 snaps a game. That's second most in the ACC. 
So maybe what you need to do is give West Virginia a dose of its own medicine. West Virginia is an offense that likes to play keep away, likes to play ball control, likes to limit its snaps defensively and win the time of possession battle. So is that what we see out of North Carolina? Uh, maybe. Uh, again, something to consider. But the North Carolina offense, as dynamic and as explosive as it's been, they average 7.8 yards per play. That's the second highest among all offenses that West Virginia has faced. Uh, you know, it's I, – I don't know. Uh, but that's not the same offense that West Virginia is about to face. Uh, now, North Carolina, and this is where it gets interesting, was 2-4 and four when converting less than half of their third downs uh, in, in the 2022 season, tied for 30, 36th worst in the FBS, and they didn't get much better this year. Uh, it's so difficult to forecast what's going to happen without Drake May. I mean, that's where we find ourselves, right? So finally, in closing, the last thing we can talk about is when you look at West Virginia defensively, with a defense that's led by Beanie Bishop, recently anointed consensus All-American, freshly minted consensus All-American Beanie Bishop, who does still need a couple, you know, passes defended, pass breakups to break the school record. Let's look at third down situations. Uh, West Virginia has forced the opposition 52% of the time into third and long. Uh, when they get them into the third and long, they're pretty productive, obviously, holding them at 26%. Overall, West Virginia is fifth in the Big 12 and third down defense, allowing a conversion rate of 38%. Uh, the way I typically look and break this down is I want to see how often from each yardage metric the opposition uh, is placed into that metric. So when you look at third and short, third and one to three yards, 45% of the time, uh, excuse me, one to three yards is 24% of the time. West Virginia has faced uh, offenses that 24% of the time find themselves in third and one to three yards, and they've given up almost half those conversions. So what this is going to come down to, we'll flip this and go to the other side of the ball, but what this is going get to get down to is how often can West Virginia force a team that I'm convinced is going to run it more than they have already throughout the course of the season into some third longs? Because I do believe if you can force Connor Harrell into some third and long situations, you can potentially force him into some mistakes and give him some looks he's probably not expecting. But how often are you going to be able to do that against one of the most dynamic and consistent and physical backs in the country? But he doesn't have his tight ends. Buzzy, but he doesn't have his center. So there's there's a lot to kind of project, forecast, a lot of guesswork. So. You know, when we did the recruiting show the other day, we had a chance to talk to a couple of members of the defensive staff, and they said, look, we we kind of got a hunch of what we think we might expect from them offensively. And I would have to think it's some version of what we said earlier. Run the football, try and do what you can to get creative and max protect and take some shots downfield to make life easy for Connor Harrell. But I also think you're probably going to want to go empty. You're probably going to some, run some 10-personnel sets without those tight ends and get the football out of Connor Harrell's hands as quickly as possible with easy reads to let him be decisive and build some confidence. But the wrinkle West to me that makes this most interesting is no scholarship tight ends for a team that, that that's so you know heavy on 12 personnel. It makes it very interesting. There's a lot of guesswork involved. No, I mean, and there absolutely is not only for us, but I'm sure for them as well, too, as they've been trying to, to patch this thing together over the last couple of weeks. Um, that's listen, that's a tall task for any offense. But like you mentioned, one that likes to run 12 personnel, sometimes even 13 personnel as much as they do. Um, that's going to loom large without a doubt. Uh, Jed, what do you say we take a break here, get to our uh, our break of the show, and then we will uh, on the other side put a bow on this thing final thoughts on the mayo bowl final thoughts on christmas all that good stuff sound good to you works for me let's talk uh the other side of the football and wish everybody a happy holidays and move on right that's it and we will do that in just a minute you are in the gun nobody supports the blue and gold mountaineers like toothman ford with over 20 nil deals and counting toothman ford continues to rally behind our student athletes and it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the mountaineers not only does toothman ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned their never over msrp campaign on new fords guaranteed, guaranteed to, to save, save you thousands. thousands drive with pride all season long 
along, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations, with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit Fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. If you work the land, you just got to be a jack-of-all-trades type. There's just too much to do. So if you got to be a welder or a farmer or a ditch digger, that's just who you are that day. And tomorrow, you can be somebody else. Get your coyote at the new location of Johnston Equipment between Weston and Buckhannon. Back in the gun here, and it is time to look at the other side of the football as we continue this Mayo Bowl preview. Uh, but before we do that, a, another thank you to our friends at Fortis. Shout out to our guy, Rick uh, Lewis for roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Make sure you're visiting fortis.us.com. All right, Jed, we know it's the Mountaineers. It's the Tar Heels, 5.30 on December 27th. Let's uh, let's spin that block and get to the other side of things here. What you got? Well, let's look at North Carolina on the defensive side of the football under defensive coordinator Gene Chizik, a traditional even front defensive play caller. Uh, you know, he's bounced around in some high-profile spots. I mean, a lot of people remember the success he had at Auburn with that unbeaten yep. season as the defensive coordinator in 2004 with Tuberville. Uh, he was actually the defensive coordinator on staff with Mac. Uh, I mean, they have a lot of history together. Back when they beat USC in that famous Rose Bowl game to win the national yep. championship, you know, he, he ended up being the head coach uh, at both Iowa State and Auburn, but didn't have a tremendous amount of success, kind of a 500 career as a head coach. Uh, but – Mac Brown thought he might be the answer uh, for a defense that had ailed them. And he brought him in last year and it, and it didn't really work out. And so they were hoping over the course of the off season to rectify some of the issues they had and some of the leakage they had last year. And it didn't shape up that way uh, for all the success they've had on the offensive side of the football. They've struggled on the defensive side of the football. When you look at, again, we talked about some of the moving parts, some of the pieces that won't be in place including their leading tackler because he's off to the NFL. Um, total defense, they're 12th in the ACC, allowing over 400 yards a game. Scoring defense, they're ninth in the ACC, so almost middle of the pack. Uh, rushing defense, they're 11th, giving up 163 a game. But uh, defensively, uh, on the back end is where they've struggled. Uh, 14th in the ACC, dead last in uh, uh, pass defense. So they've, they've really struggled there. Uh, now. From a rhythm standpoint, they, they let opposing offenses find their rhythm. We always talk about those 10-plus yard plays, Wes, as being rhythm-based plays. Well, they've allowed the most 10-plus yard plays in the entire ACC. So they, they've struggled to knock opposing offenses off rhythm. Uh, that's kind of what this comes down to. And, and West Virginia has made a living throughout the course of the season uh playing time of possession playing keep away protecting its own defense but later in the season we started finding some pop and uh, we started finding some rhythm and some big playability so for a west virginia offense that is going to be without cj donaldson uh and we're going to lean in large measure when you look at the run game jaheem will get to start uh, but you're also going to get a lot of reps out of DJ Oliver. I think fans will be excited to see him. Jalen Anderson's going to be part of the equation. 
but uh, you know the straw that started the drink for West Virginia the last half of the season offensively has obviously been Garrett. Garrett is starting to find his stride as both a runner and a passer. Uh, now North Carolina get into some interesting trends here. They opened the season, ironically enough, in the Duke's Mayo Kickoff Classic in Charlotte, same stadium, uh, against South Carolina, against Spencer Rattler in South Carolina, and looked pretty good in going so. I mean, defensively, they came out and and they were playing lights out. They had nine sacks in that opener. They looked like the 85 Bears against Spencer Rattler. Nine sacks in that opener uh, held South Carolina to a field goal in the second half. One decisively, they that was an impressive win. Again, that kind of set the tone for this six and zero start that saw them land or climb into the top ten that we talked about. But some things have have happened to them since that game that that they haven't been able to overcome. Uh, in fact, they had nine sacks in that game, but only thirteen sacks in the ten games versus FBS opponents since then. So they've been unable to get to or even impact opposing quarterbacks uh and for a west virginia team that wants to first and foremost run the football you kind of got to wonder what this is going to look like now we talked about those 10 plus yard plays right and how they're rhythm based now how does the the peg fit into the hole uh well look at west virginia and what we're trying to do with a combination of both our zone schemes and our gaps gap schemes we become you've heard Elwin and i talk about it all the live long day how effective we become with that stretch play. And now with you have that, that dual threat quarterback in Garrett that can read that backside defender and make you pay if you overplay it. Well, you're facing a defense that has struggled to knock teams off rhythm because it's giving up so many 10 yard plays. So for, as an offense, you want to find your rhythm. Well, West Virginia, let's look at some rushing numbers. West Virginia, Garrett green has run the football 111 times. 28 of those have been for 10 plus yards. So basically once every four times Garrett runs the football, it's a first down. Okay. It's a 10 plus yard game. Jaheim White has run the football 97 times. 27 of those have been for 10 plus yards. Wow. So facing a defense that allows more 10 plus yards than any defense in the ACC. And that was with its leading tackler. West Virginia has had success in getting those types of rhythm-based chunk plays, mini chunk plays, M-I-N-I, by many, right? <laughs> but, uh, as a team, West Virginia, 90-plus plays on the ground of 535, or excuse me, 10-plus yards. No, that's a good Garrett that's Green, you take, Listen, you, if you, you need to take a second there. You need a, you need a cough. You all right there? Are you okay? <laughs> I was fighting a cough there, wasn't I? Your face is getting red on the broadcast. I can't, listen, I can't lose you in the middle of this, Jed. Yeah, I have my fisherman's friend out, and, and they're, they're working overtime right now. But uh, and and I'll I'll close with with this portion with this. Garrett Green, forty four percent of his runs, and this is a Sports Info Solutions metric. Forty four percent of Garrett's runs have resulted in a first down. That's wow. number one among all P five rushers. That's crazy. That's number one. So the production has been there. All right. Now, teams have really made hay against North Carolina throwing the football. If you go back and track the last two years under Gene Chizik, uh, North Carolina, when they don't allow you to throw the football defensively, that's when they have success. Seven times in the last two years under Gene Chizik, they've held the opposition under 200 yards passing. And in those seven games, they're six and one. That's when they've had success. So it's incumbent upon West Virginia to, yes, run the football, but bring a balanced enough attack that you can consistently enough throw the football to kind of exert your will on North Carolina from both ends. Uh, and, and that's how you can get into those 10-plus yards rhythm-based plays. Now, let's get a little more granular about this, okay? Uh, we talked about Gene Chizik traditionally being an even front guy, all right? He is an even front guy, and he plays a lot of a man-free coverage behind it. He'll pick his spots and take his shots and, and see what he can do from a pressure standpoint. But a lot of four-man rushes. Uh, in fact, North Carolina has allowed the most passing yards in the ACC out of a four-man rush configuration. Uh, so you're going to have your opportunities when he's bringing just those four, right? Uh, because here's what's going to matter. When they start bringing more than four, 
when they start dialing up some man coverage. We talked earlier about since that opener against South Carolina, they've struggled to pressure opposing passers. They have 27 sacks all year. Well, nine of them came that opener. All right. Well, of those 27 sacks, here's what you got to watch out for. If they run a four-man pressure or a four-man pass rush and stay base, okay, they've given up a ton of yards. But when they start dialing up some pressure packages and run man-free coverage behind it, my man-free, we call that cover one. That's basically a free safety parked high. You're splattered man coverage across, and that means you're probably going to be bringing some element of pressure. Uh, they actually lead the ACC in sack rate when going cover one at 15.6%. So that's their most effective look defensively when trying to pressure you. So you got to make hay when they only bring a four-man pressure because they're going to find more effective ways to get to you. 15 of their 27 sacks, they only have 27, but 15 of them have come from man-free cover one looks, which is the most in the ACC. So be ready for that. They will give you some opportunities to make some plays. A lot of times, Wes, when you see man-free coverage, you're going to convert to different routes. And the man-beating routes oftentimes either break quickly out or break quickly in, depending on the leverage that you're going to see from the defensive backs. So let's say, for instance, that you have a man-beater that's a slant configuration. All right. First, can our wideouts be good enough technicians on the perimeter to get a free release and get that inside leverage? Because in man coverage, they don't want to give that up. So if you can battle to win the inside leverage portion of that route, you're going to have some success against these guys because uh, when you look at what's happened when teams do successfully run those slant routes against them, they've allowed over 300 yards, which is the most in the ACC on that particular route, and they've allowed five touchdown passes. So when they go man-free, that's when they have the most success impacting the opposing passer, but they're going to give you some opportunities if you're a good enough technician on the perimeter to break free with a clean release on those inside breaking quick cutting routes. So the man beater type route. So Garrett will be alert to that. The wideouts will be alert to that. Something to keep an eye on. Uh, and now when when, uh, when North Carolina defensively, here's something else that's interesting. They're the only team in the ACC to not allow an opposing running back to catch a touchdown pass. Now what that speaks to is their effectiveness from – the linebacking core, and the nickelbacks. So for uh, a West Virginia offense, we've seen the game-breaking ability of Jaheim White in the pass game. I mean, think of the Cincinnati game, the game-breaking 75-yarder. Think of the game-winner against Baylor. So it's something to keep an eye on once we get down into the red zone. They've done a good job of bottling that up. But again, this is without their maestro, without their leading tackler, sure, who was also sure. pretty good in coverage. That, that great kid's also pretty good in coverage. So something to keep an eye on there, especially when we get down to the red zone. Uh, now, if, if you want to look at areas that they have improved, uh, and, and even if it's minor strides, they've taken a couple strides since last year. Uh, from a takeaway standpoint, they're more opportunistic. Last year, they only forced 14 turnovers. This year, a little, they're a little more grabby. They have 21 takeaways. So ball security will matter. Uh, they will have the ability or they have had the ability to steal a possession now and then and help the offense out. So, you you know, high alert for a West Virginia offense that's done a good job protecting the football, knock on wood, continue to do that. Uh, and then from a TFL standpoint, at least when they're picking their spots from a run blitz perspective, uh, last year, they're, they're not an incredibly disruptive defense, as we talked about, but at least against the run game, more so than last year. Last year, they were only managing about three and a half TFLs a game, uh, so not often knocking you off script. This year, it's up to almost six, still only 10th in the ACC, but they've, they've at least made some progress there. But this isn't the type of defense that's going to force you into a ton of third and longs. If, if you break it down, we faced some defenses earlier in the year, West that, that will force you into third and seven or longer 60-plus percent of the time right? That's a tough way to make a living. That's not the case with this defense. North Carolina defensively, one of the reasons they've struggled when I break down the metrics on third down, you know how often they force you in a third and seven or longer? Only 42% of the time. So by and large, you're going to live ahead of the sticks. 27% of the time, it's going to be third and one to three yards. And then 
from a third and intermediate standpoint, you're looking about one and a four times. So more than half the time, it's going to be intermediate or better. And only 42% of the time is it truly third and long. So that's one of the reasons that they've struggled. Uh, now, West Virginia has started to turn a corner with some of these, these uh, third down conversion metrics. We, we at least climbed to the point where we're seventh in the Big 12 because early in the year we were really struggling to move the chains. Uh, so a bowl game, all bets are off, and it might be a four-down proposition anyway. Uh, but, uh, you know, if West Virginia can play into what North Carolina has allowed other offenses to do, stay ahead of schedule, create some manageable four, third downs, and then maybe even roll the dice a couple times on fourth down, I think that will serve us incredibly well. Uh, but finally, when you, when you look at small ball situationally, let's look at it from a red zone standpoint. Uh, North Carolina, defensively from a touchdown allowed in the red zone standpoint, they're middle of the pack in the ACC. So uh, it all depends what you make of it. West Virginia earlier in the year was more effective, but we ended sixth in the Big 12 from a touchdown scoring rate standpoint in the red zone. That, that's I don't look at red zone scoring. I only look at touchdown rate in the red zone. That's what matters to me. Uh, and then from a third zone, third, that's kind of an even fight from a third down standpoint. Uh, we talked about the numbers at large, but they're middle of the pack overall, eighth in the uh, ACC, we're seventh in the uh, Big 12. But I, I think the key there is to can we stay ahead of schedule? Can we stay ahead of the sticks and, and play into some of what they've allowed some of these other offenses to do by running the football, finding our rhythm with those 10-plus yard plays? And the next thing you know, you pop a couple of those 10-plus yard plays, you can take a shot downfield and you got a big play and a splash play, maybe even a, a cheap score. So that's what I see. Well, I tell you what, after what you just laid down there, I know, listen, I'll preface this by saying I feel like this is a lot of times a cliched thing to bring up because, of course, every team and every game wants a fast start and how you start the game is always important for how, you know, how the, the first 15 minutes are kind of, a you know, the first chapter of how the, uh, the next 45 are going to play out. But it feels like a fast start for WVU and this one would go a long way. A, a offense and a defense that's missing some key pieces that, like you mentioned, probably wants to slow this thing down a little bit and lean on the run game and try and keep it close and um, limit plays and possessions and things like that. It feels like uh, this would not be a team that would be built to, you know, to be playing down 10 points, down 14 points, something like that. I agree with that. Uh, and again, North Carolina, what you need to some extent, the Zach Frazier injury, and there's a couple other situations we've talked about, but North Carolina is going to be forced from a personnel standpoint to make some adjustments. Uh, a, a, a big one to me is the absence of Cedric Gray because he's off to the NFL. So he's opting out as their leading tackler and the leading tackler among all P5 defenders the last two years. What they're going to do is they have another battle-tested veteran in Power Eccles. Uh, he's going to slide into Cedric Gray's, Gray's spot. And then Amari Campbell is going to slide from a linebacker standpoint in a Power Eccles spot. So uh, they're trying to make some adjustments there, but they have some guys down on the back end. They had their leading tackler out among their uh, uh, linebacking core. So they're going to have to make some adjustments. Uh, I am curious as to how that might impact what he does or doesn't do from a rolling the dice standpoint. We talked about how critical his, you know, cover one man free blitz opportunities are. I, I don't know. Are we going to see more quarters coverage, more cover three out of him? I, I don't know the answer to that. It depends how much faith they, they have talked about. They've recruited well for the fifth straight time. They have a top 25 recruiting class. So it's not like they don't have some untested talent and reserve spots. So the cupboard's not there. And you heard Neil talk about it, Wes. Yes, they're going to have to play some youth. But to some extent, there's a silver lining for North Carolina to be found in that because bowl season is all about who's most excited to be there. Sure. And you got to figure if you're some of these starters like Drake May, if you were six and zero in the top ten, how excited are you to play in the Duke's Mayo Bowl at eight and four? But if you're an untested freshman, you're really excited. I mean, Connor Harrell's making his first career start at quarterback. He's tremendously excited. So there's something to be said for that. Which team will be the most excited? I do fully expect West Virginia to come out fired up, seeing the opportunity that this this is, and I expect our fans to turn out and help us. So there's, as we said, there's a lot of storylines here. It's, 
it makes this for a compelling matchup for a host of reasons. A lot of question marks. I wonder how they're going to handle things from a game planning perspective offensively. I wonder how they're going to handle things, whether or not they roll the dice and gamble as much defensively with Chiswick, with some of these guys. I don't know. So it's going to be interesting. Well, I tell you what. I'm excited. I know Mountaineer Nation's excited. You mentioned that game in Charlotte being ideal for the Mayo Bowl. I think they uh, opened up more tickets for sale on the WVU side of the stadium because there was such a demand. So should be a fun atmosphere, opportunity to get to a ninth win, right? I mean, a, a number that we haven't hit, what, since 2016 when when Dana's team went 10-2 and two in the regular season, 10-3 and three overall. So uh, opportunity for young players, like you mentioned, opportunity to really – listen, this team's going to carry momentum into next season. Uh, but this, I think, would really put a stamp on that. Um, yeah. And, and uh, it's a big one. Last thing I would add, Wes, Mac Brown is a very well-established, well-respected coach for a long list of reasons. He's actually – he has five bowl wins, which is more than any head coach in North Carolina history. He has a national championship at Texas. So you can't question his pedigree. He's been there and done that. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the small things that I would say pay attention to, and again, from a forecasting standpoint, because you're asserting, inserting so much youth into the lineup for North Carolina. North Carolina was already the most penalized team in the ACC at 67 yards a game. And that was with their veterans. What impact does inserting these freshmen or these younger players have on that? Does that help that or hurt that? I, I mean, running fewer snaps, you would expect. Does that help? I, I don't know. But if you can take that, they've struggled from – a discipline standpoint, avoiding penalties. So if you can use that, even a false start, all of a sudden a second and seven becoming a second and 12 with a young quarterback really helps West Virginia defensively. So if you can start stacking penalties and if we can avoid penalties and let them hurt themselves and shoot themselves in the foot as the most penalized team in the ACC, it's little things like that that tend to add up. And I'm going to make a prediction here, Wes. Uh, I, I've seen it posted sometime in the last couple of weeks. West Virginia has never had a football game end with the final score 28 to 21. I'm going to say this will be the first. West Virginia wins this 28 to 21. Ooh, I think that might be the first time in the 134 episode history of this historic podcast that is also yes. your new favorite WVU podcast, even though yes, we're wrapping up right. year two here. I don't know if you've ever made a specific score prediction before i like that from you babe ruth Real calling alert. calling your shot there you're pointing, pointing to the outfield and calling your shot <laughs> yeah, yeah that is interesting because you feel i mean that's a pretty common score like right four touchdowns against three touchdowns 28 21 never happened jed calling a little scoregami i absolutely love it there hey, is uh, a, i think there's a wvu scoregami account there is i think that's there where is. i saw that uh that posted that that's never been a score so well, i'll tell you what if it ends up happening I'll, we'll go back. We'll cut up this part of the podcast here, and we'll tweet it at those guys, and and maybe we'll have some some fun back and forth with WVU Scorigami. Um, and that would also kind of play, you know, the spread right now. WVU is favored by six and a half points, so seven point victory. You're right. Yeah. You're right in range there, uh, dear signal caller. A final thank you to our new friends at Johnson Equipment. Uh, make sure you're visiting their new location, Route 33, Route 33, right outside of Weston. Big thanks to Johnson Equipment. Oh, man. For, uh, Johnston for equipment the party here. right outside of Weston. I just saw Tim Johnston a couple days ago, and we wished each other happy holidays. So I love it. I love it. All right, Jed, as we wrap this up, before we go, a couple quick hitters Christmas for you, okay? Yes, the people, please. The people, the people needs to know uh, favorite Christmas movie. Well, I tell you what, that is a tough one. Uh, I, I just recently, two nights ago, uh, watched for the thousandth time, It's a Wonderful Life. Now, without getting way out into the weeds, there is a festival in Seneca Falls, New York. I don't know if I ever told you about this. Seneca Falls claims for a million reasons Bedford Falls in the movie is based on Seneca Falls. It's up in the Finger Lakes of New York. Yep. Yep. It's a really quaint, cool town. They have a festival. This movie was first released in, on December 15th, 1946. I know that it's because it's the day my dad was born. So he just had his birthday. That's cool. That's uh, cool. So, the the weekend closest to December 15th, they always have their It's a Wonderful Festival. We went up mm -hmm. to it in 2014, and it was at, flat out nice. awesome. That's cool. Uh, it, it's tough to beat It's a Wonderful Life, but at the same time, uh, 
it's tough to beat a you know Christmas story, which plays all day every Christmas now on TBS and TNT. And then for that matter, Christmas I'll tell vacation. you the one that's the most recent classic, and that is Elf. I mean, Elf's only been around for a couple decades, but it's absolutely an entrenched classic now, right? And I know you love Will so There's Farrell a lot of good too. ones, but those are the ones I give shout outs to. Those are good. My wife would like that. My wife would say Home Alone or Elf, so she would be on board with you. Um, listen, I mean, the answer is Die Hard, right? We all know that. But I think Jed and I are okay. going more. I think Jed and I are going more in the vein of classic Christmas movies. Um, I uh, my I think Christmas Vacation deserves a shout along with those that you said, but mine would be the Grinch, and specifically the Jim Carrey Grinch. Uh, Jim Carrey was my favorite actor growing up. Like, I've, I think I've told you this before. Like, I grew up on the Ace Ventura movies. I wore those two VHSs out, both of them, When Nature Calls and Pet Detective. Um, so I loved Jim Carrey growing up. And that Grinch movie with Jim Carrey came out when I was like nine or 10 years old, like right at that perfect Christmas age. Um, so that's, that's always, that one hits me right in the nostalgia every time. If that's on, I'm sitting down and watching it. No, uh, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, Christmas song, Jed. Silent Night. That's a great First one. performed in, in, you know, Christmas on Christmas Eve, 1818. Uh, it's Silent Night. It just gives me the chills. It's a great one. I'm a, it's, there's there's something about doing Silent Night at church on Christmas Eve when everybody's holding the candle. You're right. It just it gives you the chills every single time. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Run Run Rudolph by Chuck Berry is my favorite. Uh, but man, really anything by Andy Williams or Nat King Cole, you know, or, or, or Gene Autry, like any of those classic Christmases. Um, I got to insert Vince. my favorite Chuck Berry song, Brown Eyed Handsome Man. But go ahead. There you go. There you go. I love me some Chuck Berry. I do. Um, uh, favorite Christmas tradition. Ooh, that's a very good one. Uh, you know, a lot of times what we've done is, uh, and it depends, it's sometimes four weeks, sometimes six weeks before christmas we buy different versions of hot cocoa and once a week <laughs> i like where this is uh, going once a week uh as a family and we we we've, we we haven't been as compliant with it this year <laughs> but as a family once a week excuse me uh fisherman's friend kick in please uh we'll have the hot cocoa leading up to christmas all the way we'll, we'll map it out from christmas eve and backdate it and you get like a variety pack of like four or five or six different kinds. Now, Mav, my young guy and I, we're the only ones in the family because Dylan and Chrissy are not fans of any kind of peppermint and chocolate, but we love it. <laughs> so uh, we can count them out for that one. But yeah, all the other different flavors of hot cocoa, that's been a fun tradition of ours. And and historically, uh, I always read the kids, uh, It's it, you know, Twas the Night Before Christmas, on Christmas Eve, as they go to bed, as we're yep. finalizing things with the presents out under the tree and everything. And then we, and this has become more fun through the years. Uh, yes, with Dylan, it was fun when he was younger, but he's older now. But the technology wasn't quite to the point that it was then. But uh, the the NORAD tracking Santa stuff on Christmas Eve, it was, it was at least to the point where he and I could enjoy it together when he was a kid. But now Mav and I are just, it's massive. You know, it's, it's, it's one of his favorite things to do, so. That's, that's a big awesome. part of it. And, and we'll be in Charlotte it. for Christmas this year. But That's right. Yes, you will. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, How about you? So ours, have kind of, ours are kind of evolving. You know what I mean? Um, now that, you know, I've got two girls, two months old, and or two, sorry, two years old and seven months old. Um, so we're just kind of like really scratching that surface. Uh, but one that I've, that I've always loved, like my wife and I, you know, the five years that we were married before we started having kids, we would on Christmas Day we would make brunch and watch Goodfellas. Okay, that was that was like that was our that was our tradition, and we've now morphed that to now with the with the girls. We put the girls down and we watch Die Hard in the evening because it's tough to watch Goodfellas in the evening. It's like a three hour movie. All right, I mean that's a, that's a that's a late yeah. night. So we've morphed it yeah. into get the girls down, pour something cold to drink, and uh, and watch Die Hard in right. the evening. But you'll like this, Jed. I'm starting a new Christmas tradition. Hopefully. Christmas Eve, I'm doing prime rib this year for the first time ever. We're going to do wow. – we're doing a prime rib dinner. I'm doing the pan gravy. I'm doing the horseradish aioli. I'm doing it up, mashed, you know, homemade mashed potatoes, broccoli, and green beans. Um, so How hopefully that'll be – say that again? How strong is the horseradish? Pretty strong because my dad and I are the only ones who ever have any of it. So 
<laughs> I always say the horseradish is best when it borderline knocks you unconscious. I mean, that's, that's it. yeah. It's got to clear your Absolutely. sinuses out and all that yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Um, I so I think we got a new tradition, hopefully, of uh, of Christmas Eve prime rib, one that it's not quite Whoville roast beast, but I think it, I think it'll stick. I think it'll stay. Um, okay, last one for you. I'm gonna surprise. I'm gonna put you on the spot here a little bit, and I'll answer first on this one just to give you a second to yeah. think about it. Your 2024 Christmas wish for West Virginia University athletics. You know, you can go football specifically. You can go bigger overall, whatever you want to do. Like I said, I'll give you a second to think about this one. But mine's real simple, Jed. It's just the continued boom of the Country Roads Trust. You know, like, it's it's such a big deal in this new world order that is college football to have those strong collectives. And I think we are on – I think we have one that's ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. I think we're on our way to building one with a very strong foundation here in its first couple of years. I love how Ren Baker has embraced that early on in his tenure at WVU. So that's my Christmas, Christmas wish for WVU Athletics. Nothing crazy. Uh, but just actually maybe for all the voodoo around the basketball program to finally stop, please, dear God. But uh, just for overall, the continued growth and support and, uh, yeah, and progression of the Country Roads Trust. Poor Josh Eilert. I mean, come on, man. That's, My uh, goodness, you know, Come man. on, right? Finally but, uh, get your, yeah, that, your, that, your waiver good... guys back, and then Jesse Edwards fractures his wrist, and he's oh, out for a month. On, you get Raekwon Battle back, but he misses his first game with the flu. Like, it's just uh, just. So uh, let me tie a couple together. There's another quasi-tradition that I didn't mention. Uh, we we spend a weekend in Pittsburgh Christmas shopping, and a lot of times what we like to do is it's the weekend of December 10th-ish because that's when the Steel City Con is. We're, you know, we're a family full of sci-fi and comic book geeks, so yep. they bring all these B-level celebrities in and and uh, this year, actually, because we, we don't really plan it. It's kind of impromptu. We just show up and buy the tickets and go in. Sure, well, this sure. was the first time ever it was sold out. We couldn't get in. So we showed up and couldn't get in. It was so, yeah. So we're like, wow, this is getting too big for us, you know? But I mean, you'll see everybody from Ralph Mouth to Carmen Electra. I mean, it's, it's sure. you know, it, uh, sure. Oscar from the office. John, Bern I mean, John Bernthal's been there in the past. Yeah. Oh, they had the station wagon from uh, the Griswold movies. Uh, it, it, it's great. But it's it's part of our Christmas shopping weekend in Pittsburgh. Well, I'm hoping that next year we have to pivot, adjust, and do a different weekend in Pittsburgh because I hope to be in Jerry World that weekend next year. That's what I'm hoping for. For oh, the that's a Big great 12 one. Conference Championship. Dang it, I love game. that one. All right, can I redo my answer? Can we cut that from the – and I'll say the same <laughs> thing. and I'll, I'll say it first to make it seem cooler. No, that's a fantastic answer. That's a great answer. Uh, cheers to that one. I'm with you on that one. Um, and it's funny, you know how like every, every year when the Steelers schedule comes out for my job, it's like, I look at it through the lens of how does this affect my WVU games and everything. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously number one on that list still for me is to be able to go to the backyard brawl, right. Just that I'm not traveling on the Saturday to, you know, to Houston, Texas yeah, or, or Minnesota yeah. or whatever, uh, on the day of the backyard brawl. Um, cause I've only missed one backyard brawl game since I was seven years old. Um, and, but the second one is going to be, man, Jed, I would love it if, if, uh, like the Steelers ended up playing on a Thursday or a Monday that week of the big 12 championship game. So that if the Mountaineers do find themselves at Jerry world, I can find myself at Jerry world as well too. So if it's that's a, a Thursday in Dallas. That's a great one. Even better. And then I'll just stay and keep the party going. Yeah. The Steelers, <laughs> exactly. the Steelers do. And you know, what sucks is the Steelers do play the Cowboys next year, but it's slated to be in Pittsburgh, not in Dallas or else that would have been the dream scenario. Uh, yeah, getting to, getting to do those back-to-back -back days or, or something like that would be fantastic. But I love that. Uh, that'll be fun. Let us know your, in the comments. Let us know your traditions, uh, any of those that you want to throw out there that I posed, or your uh, WV. I'd be very interested to know people's WVU uh, wish for a new year, Christmas wish for a new year. So let us know those as well, too. Uh, for Big O, and uh, as always, a thank you to our producer, Skylar Callahan. I am Wesley Euler with the signal caller Jed Drenning, and the one thing we ask of you is to be an ear and tell an ear about your new favorite WVU football podcast. We're also going to ask you for one or two more things right now, okay? That's to have a very Merry Christmas. And like I said, if you're listening to this podcast while you're out traveling over the holidays near or far, you know, 10 minutes down the road or maybe a few hours crossing state lines, make sure you're staying safe out there. And, uh... Uh, safe travels enjoy the holidays enjoy the family and jed I, I always i always like to say with these things too i know the holidays for a lot of people are rough 
um, whether for losses that you've experienced, you know, going through the holidays for the first time without somebody significant in your life, uh, whether it's you didn't come from families where holidays were a, a celebrated thing, maybe it's not always been easy for you, whatever the case may be, uh, I just always like to say that for those people too. Uh, hold on tight because it goes quick. You know, that's the that's the gift and the curse of Christmas. If you well, love it and you look forward to it all year, hold on tight because it goes quick. If you're somebody who who doesn't look forward to this time of year, hey, just hold on tight. It goes quick. Well said. That's a, that's a great point. I was I was thinking of a friend who we lost this year uh, just a couple of days ago about that very thing, and I was thinking of his family. So I'm glad you said that. So that's how we'll end this. Merry Christmas. Beat the hell out of North Carolina. Let's go get that ninth win. Take care, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. As always, you've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.